Welcome to Faith and Science. I'm Dr. John Ashton. I think when uh, someone gives us a lovely smile, it can be so encouraging and uplifting. And of course, when they do that, they're showing us their their teeth usually. And the um, the the teeth in the mouth actually we take them for granted uh, a lot of the time. But there's still a lot of research being done with regards to teeth and people understanding um, the dental processes and and so forth. And one of the reasons, of course, they're working on this is um, in efforts to uh, combat uh, tooth decay um, at the the present time. But the... um, Teeth uh, themselves are are really powerful evidence, in my view, for creation. And, of course, uh, tooth decay, really, in uh, my view, is a a disease of civilization. Um, I remember reading studies uh, where young people, um, children that that grow up uh, just eating unprocessed foods and even chewing on things like sugarcane, uh, had perfect orthodontal development and um, uh, did not um, uh, tend to develop dental uh, caries, um, the same like we do in the Western cultures where we tend to have a lot more refined food, even though we have things like you know toothbrushes and, and things like this. So it's quite um, uh, fascinating, our teeth and, and how they're structured. Of course, we start off... Uh, uh, our teeth uh, develop as children. We have our what are called our baby teeth, where we get um, well, we only have ten of those: ten in the upper jaw and ten in the lower jaw. And then uh, these, of course, um, fall out in due time, and they're replaced. And uh, in adults, we uh, hopefully end up with um, uh, sixteen uh, uh, teeth up um, in the upper jaw and uh, sixteen in the lower. Of course, not um, uh, everyone. The the last tooth, my understanding is, uh, these um, uh, third uh, uh, mandibles, uh, they uh, develop, um, they're, I think, called our wisdom teeth. And, um, of course, not everyone develops those. And, of course, some people... um, develop actually extra, the fourth and fifth molars. They're fairly rare, but they're um, uh, referred to as, um, um, you know, hyperdontia, uh, the fourth and fifth molars. So um, it's, it's interesting, of course, males uh, generally have a, a larger drawer and females a, a, a smaller drawer, and of course, but it's amazing how the teeth all fit and... Um, and they can look so nice. And, of course, it's hard to imagine how such a structure could arise by random blind mutations. And, of course, we're just looking at human teeth today. And, of course, you know, so many different – all the, you know, the mammals and so forth have different um, uh, teeth and uh, fish and so forth and uh, all have different properties. But just looking at, at human teeth today – in uh, my talk, um, and it's something that I've found actually quite fascinating. Of course, we've we've got, um, of course, the um, enamel on the outside of the the upper part of the tooth, and in under that is the uh, the dentin, 
and that's the substance between the enamel and um, either the uh, cementum, which is a part on the side of the tooth, and or and the and the pulp ch- uh, uh, chamber. Uh, and actually, the dentin is um, secreted from the dental pulp, and that's often where we get uh, the decay. Of course, the um, enamel is um, the hardest um, structure. Tooth enamel is actually the hardest material in the um, in the body, um, and I'll you know talk about that in a little bit more. Of course, and the cementum is a, a type of specialised bone substance. Um, covering the root of the tooth. Um, and it's um, about 45% inorganic material and about a third um, organic material. And then, of course, uh, uh, and about 20% water. And then, of course, we've got the tooth of the, the teeth. Um, and the dental pulp, which is in the centre of the tooth, is just soft connective uh, tissue and has blood vessels and, of course, nerves. <laughs> um, and that's why we need anaesthetic if the dentist uh, needs to uh, uh, drill into that uh, material when he's doing a, uh, um, a, f- a filling. So um, the, the teeth are made up of these interesting parts um, that, uh, you know, there, there's quite a lot of structures, as I said, with the blood vessels and, and everything in the, in the structure of the, of the teeth. But one of the things, of course, that I th- find most fascinating is, um, is tooth enamel. Now, tooth enamel, and one of the reasons I find most fa- fascinating, it, it, on the most scale of hardness, the uh, tooth enamel has a hardness of five, and it's interesting that untempered, so non-hardened, iron and steel only has a hardness of four to four and a half. So the higher the number, um, the harder the material. And um, it's actually just less than glass, which has a hardness of about five and a half to six. So it's, it's quite amazing material, really quite a, amazing material. And it's interesting that our teeth really are, are, are surprisingly tough and they usually remain uncracked through decades of biting and chewing. Yet the, the surface coating, which is called enamel, and as I've just said, it's the hardest substance in the, uh, in the human body, but yet it's also brittle. Um, but yet it for, there has a special structure that minimises cracking. And, of course, this structure, this enamel, uh, coats the main tooth material, which is the, the dentine. Um, it's um, sort of the equivalent to, you know, ivory, I suppose, um, where, uh, well, ivory is uh, simply solid, a more solid uh, dentine. Um, it's involved actually in protecting the enamel as well uh, from the inside. It's interesting if you look at, if you think of, of glass, if you have a windscreen on your car, once a, a tiny crack starts, it, it doesn't take long to propagate through the material. Um, but it was interesting, a, a study that was done applying quite a large load loads to different types of teeth, 
like human teeth, has shown how uh, the enamel has a number of features that prevent uh, cracks uh, spreading. And so scientists have been looking at the structure of teeth um, quite recently, actually, to try and understand better how they can improve uh, repairs um, to our teeth. I can remember um, when I was a boy, well, I think it was first year high school, um, I won a prize. Uh, I won a dental competition. And um, that prize, uh, I was um, taken down and well, I was, there was a winner from every school and I was the winner from um, my high school and we went through the Colgate factory. But it was interesting, um, I hadn't had to go to the dentist, I didn't have any cavities, but when my dad died a couple of years later, we moved into a town where there was a lead smelter the uh, largest lead smelter in the southern hemisphere was nearby and it turned out, we didn't know at the time, but there was massive um, levels of lead in the atmosphere that we were breathing in. And it was interesting, within a few years, I developed a number of cavities in my teeth, even though I was cleaning my teeth. And, um, and I subsequently had, uh, had to have mercury fillings. And it was interesting, a few years later when I was studying, uh, when I was uh, at the University of Tasmania um, doing postgrad studies down there as a research fellow, I, um, one of the other guys there was working on his PhD on um, graphite furnace atomic absorption and he was developing back then the, some of the first methods for analysing lead levels in blood. And I can remember that... Um, he, uh, for a control sample, he thought he'd take some blood for some children in a, in a small country town. Um, but when he analysed their blood, um, he found that uh, the lead levels were nearly as high as children living next to freeways in Los Angeles. And, of course, this was back in the early 70s. Of course, that was back when we had leaded fuel. And he, and he was amazed what had happened. But, of course, it was an apple-growing area and they were lo- using lead arsenate sprays. And uh, then, of course, it was some years later, not until I think around the 1990s, that uh, I think it was research out of the University of Madrid showed that lead softened teeth. Um, and so this was, um, uh, again, as I realised then, yeah, that's why my teeth went uh, to pieces. And, of course, lead, as far too, can replace uh, calcium, which is one of the you know, components of our, our teeth uh, because, uh, essentially, uh, the enamel is a type of calcium phosphate, uh, crystalline calcium ph- phosphate that is extremely hard. And so... It's, it's interesting that what happens is with our um, teeth, it would seem, and, and you know, this is still being studied um, at, the, at the present time, um, how our teeth form and grow is still not fully and completely understood. But it seems that the, as the teeth develop, uh, there are a number of small flaws um, develop or little cracks, and um, these cracks are then filled. Uh, well, they, they form little sort of defects 
um, where the enamel joins the dentine and um, thus uh, uh, these little cracks as they're forming um, could form the the basis of larger cracks because, but they're deep within the, the tooth so they're protected from decay. But the crack actually stabilises because of stress um, shielding from actually other cracks. So it's interesting that these small flaws actually work like a forest and um, suppress the cracks from developing further. It's an amazing system. Um, so there's quite a bit involved. So and I'll talk a little bit more about these these cracks in a little bit. Um, but the other factor that we need to understand there is that there's an arrangement of crystalline rods, which are the basic units of the enamel, and bundles of these rods crisscross each other on the length of the enamel dentine junction um, to the enamel's outside surface. So, um, and um, it's a special pattern that forms that also hinders the crack propagation. Now, so this uh, crack growth is hampered by this basket weave type microstructure of the enamel. And um, it's interesting, there's also a, a self healing process where the organic, where organic material, protein materials that acts like a glue actually fill the cracks um, that have extended from these little little tufts, these little starting point cracks at the junction of the dentine and the enamel. And so, and these little tufts, these little cracks also become closed by these particular proteins that actually glue the together. So it's, it's amazing. So you'd think, oh, well, the cracks would be a fault in design. But no, by having those cracks, which are then subsequently filled with this glue, this protein glue, it actually makes it an even stronger structure, stronger crystalline structure. Um, and secondly, another point that was found out was uh, with this uh, research, um, and this was research, um, this um, particular report uh, was, uh, and this was research that was published in literature back in, in 2009, um, on, for example, in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences on the 13th of April, 2009. There was a paper titled Remarkable Resilience of Teeth. And um, there are a number of reports about this research. Another one appeared in Science Daily on the 20th of April, 2009, uh, called Cracking the Root of Tooth Strength. <laughs> it's amazing. So you'd think, oh, OK, these little cracks here is the design fault. But no, because they become filled with this glue and resin, they make them actually stronger, or this organic material which acts as a glue, this organic protein material. And it's interesting, the report summarises, and I'll, I'll read it uh, to you, and this is from the report. This is the first time that enigmatic developmental features, such as enamel tufts, have been shown to have any significance in tooth function. And um, that was from uh, the lead researcher, Paul Constantino. Crack growth 
is also hampered by the basket weave microstructure of enamel and by a self-healing process whereby organic material fills the cracks extended from the tufts, which themselves also become closed by the organic matter. This type of infilling bonds the opposing cracked wall, which increases the amount of force required to extend the crack later on. Yeah, so, and I think this is one of the, the fascinating things about how could blind random chances come up with such an incredible design, let alone the functional shape, let alone the uniformity. And as um, you know, it was just pointed out to me um, uh, prior to giving the talk. You know, it's fascinating. The tooth, our teeth, all grow to exactly the same height. They all grow in the just the right place. They. Um, you know, of course, unless we have some sort of genetic defect. But um, this is, you know, powerful evidence, again, for coordinated design, not random chance mutations. Another um, aspect, too, is um, that the tooth enamel itself is really hard to replace. And, of course, um, I found this out um, when, again, I had, was subject to this tooth decay um, after being exposed to the lead. And I then had to, had mercury fillings. And, of course, um, at the time you could have gold fillings as well. But, you know, Dad had died. Uh, I was living, you know, I was a student. student. My mum was on the widow's pension. So... Um, but and fortunately, we the dentist didn't charge us because mother was on the pension. He was a very very kind man, and um, of course gold was often used. And then of course later they developed the the ceramic type uh, materials as well. But it's interesting. Um, the tooth has to be so hard because that's what we chew things with. Um, and of course uh, we want our teeth to last our lifetime. Um, and it's fascinating that the, the natural biomineralization processes that produces the tooth enamel is um, a complicated, of course, and well-aligned appetite structure, which is a, a calcium phosphate type of calcium phosphate. And as we said, it's very hard in the laboratory to create this amazing structure that is in tooth enamel that I've just explained, this basket weave structure, the little cracks that are filled with the, um, the protein that uh, serves as a glue and so forth. Um, because uh, as this uh, uh, calcium phosphate structure is developing as the tooth grows, um, there is particular cells called um, ameloblasts and they produce these special proteins that uh, harden the famous um, early tough external coating of our teeth. So when you think about it again, you have to, by random blind mutations, produce a genetic code that is going to produce these proteins through a whole range of chemical reactions that are governed by enzymes and specific chemicals to produce these proteins in just the right place at just the right time so that these teeth can develop. And I think we can see, again, that the, these sort of um, uh, effects just and natural um, you know, changes don't occur as a result of blind 
random mutations to produce the DNA to produce all the materials um, and that our DNA encodes for all these different materials that make up just our teeth. Um, and it's interesting that um, in uh, 2009, uh, sorry, 2019, was uh, one of the first times that scientists were able to sort of grow uh, an enamel coating onto teeth. So this work was actually published in a, a paper that was published in Science Advances in 2019 um, in um, uh, Volume 5, Issue 8, and uh, it was titled The Repair of Tooth Enamel by a Biomimetic Mineralisation Frontier Ensuring Epiaxial Growth. And it was by C. Shao, S-H-A-O, um, and 11 others. Um, it uh, was also, you can also read about it in, um, it was also published on the uh, 3rd of September 2019, sciencealert.com. Um, and the title of that article was Scientists Have Developed a Genius Method That Actually Regenerates Tooth Enamel. Well, it actually didn't regenerate totally what tooth enamel is like, but they were getting close. Um, and another one was um, uh, in published in theguardian.com, 31st of August 2019, uh, Scientists Discover a Way to Grow Tooth Enamel. Um, and so what actually, and you have all these breakthroughs, and they were by um, researchers at um, the Zhejiang University in China. Uh, and what they'd done was they, using um, an ingenious method involving the coating of volunteers' teeth with a gel containing calcium phosphate iron clusters, they managed to generate a, a thin 2.7 micron layer of enamel over a 48-hour period. But, of course, to match the natural tooth enamel thickness and to tackle cavities, the researchers really have to improve on this by several hundredfold, not in thickness, but in terms of the actual structure. But um, so there we can see, and often these things are, you know, really written up um, or publicised by the media is a little bit better than they are, but at least it was a start. But one of the challenges is to grow this material again with this, the, the cracks in it, with the glue and with the uh, crisscross um, structure. So this is, um, you can see, this, you know, for something like this to arise by chance and then we've got the you know, top scientists working to try and work out better ways that we can replace teeth um, and yet we still cling in teaching these scientists <laughs> to the theory of evolution. Uh, one of the uh, other things that comes up, of course, is our, our wisdom teeth um, and these are those um, last set of teeth, last... Um, that um, or the the third molars as they're called, um, and they're called, of course, wisdom teeth because generally they uh, erupt uh, in the late teens and early twenties, and of course the age of twenty one was traditionally the age of wisdom. Um, so um, 
uh, as far as I understand, my wisdom teeth has, hasn't come through, but my wife had to have her wisdom teeth out. And, of course, being um, a, a woman, her uh, mouth was a, a bit smaller, I guess. And um, But it's in, in, interesting that the orthodontist John W. Uh, Cuzozo and that's spelled C-U-O-Z-Z-O, and he's quite a, a well, uh, quite a famous dentist. I think he was involved and in working on the team that uh, years ago helped uh, confirm uh, Hitler's remains. I think from 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 teeth, um, and he did quite a lot of work on uh, uh, Neanderthals and their teeth, and. Um, he reports that um, they had, of course, much larger jaw bones and they also had much larger teeth. And also studies that he did looking at um, uh, skulls and that that have been excavated from hundreds of years ago uh, to compared to modern day teeth structures. Um, he, he notes that you know, three or four hundred years ago, it took a child 13 years to reach the stage that our children reach today in nine and 10 years because we have more rapid maturation uh, today. Uh, but what he says is that these facial, facial bones, although children are maturing in many other ways, um, the facial bones um, are maturing um, at the same rate and um, they need more time. And uh, so this is part of the reason that he feels that people can have a lot of problems with their um, uh, wisdom teeth. And it's not a, you know, an ever evolutionary thing. It's um, it pr- probably, you know, in, in times past, in the Nathander all times, said the jaws were bigger. There was less processed food. Um, you know, they had a different orthodontic development. Of course, there's also the issue that sometimes raised, well, if the patriarchs lived for 900 years, how did their teeth last that long? Well, we we don't really know uh, for sure, um, but obviously they were, you know, still able to um, eat. Um, but one of the things that we um, uh, don't, uh, one of the things that is associated with the uh, the Neanderthals is that they... Um, had uh, toradont molars or bull-shaped teeth and they had much larger teeth um, and it's believed that these larger teeth were, um, um, would enable them to last much longer as well. And it's interesting, uh, Jack Cuzozo states that he actually still sees children with the Neanderthal-type uh, toradont molars and he, he noted also that these children often come from families with a history of longevity. And so, again, um, uh, also there's, uh, and as I mentioned right at the beginning, there's also evidence of um, extremely rare instances of people growing a third set of teeth in their adult years. And so we don't know in the past when people did live a long time whether... Um, uh, genetically, they continued to develop teeth. But I think what we can conclude is that our teeth are amazing evidence of design. Just all the blood vessels, all the different components, all the enzymes that are involved. And they could not possibly arrive arisen by blind, random mutations. 
They are evidence of a loving creator God that wanted us to smile and bring the blessings of smiles to those around us. You've been listening to Faith and Science, and if you want to re-listen to these programs, remember, you can Google 3abnaustralia.org.au, click on the radio button, and listen there. I'm Dr John Ashton. Have a great day. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio. 